to me, like I felt like I was going crazy. And I suddenly started seeing images around people. When I told my mom that I thought I saw ghosts by the third time I saw one, she was like, sometimes that happens. To this day, I still think it's crazy that I'm a clairvoyant or like that I call myself a clairvoyant because like my logical side's like, that's ridiculous. Everyone is psychic. Everyone has intuition. It's just a matter of like whether we practice it the same way that we work our muscles in the gym. You can practice, you can learn, you can create your intuition. Do you hold yourself back from embodying a life that feels good for you? Worried about what others will think? Well, stick around because this episode will show you why, no matter how out there you might think you are, there are many wonderful weirdos living beautiful lives of authentic expression. This episode will inspire you to let your weird light shine. When you hear the words, we are already free, what comes up for you? Acceptance. Change. The shift in awareness. Human beings are so powerful. There's so much more. Everything is love behind it. Breaking the chains of your own mind. That which remains. Nature. Getting out of the matrix. We're sitting on the treasure and it's already unlocked. We are already free. You're free. You are a walking map. Have always been free. You are always free. Already free. We are already free. This episode welcomes guest Kelsey Eicher, an aerialist and coach who now owns her own circus company in Kansas City. She has been performing for 10 years and coaching for nearly 11. Prior to becoming a full-time aerialist, she was a freelance screenwriter. She's also a trained clairvoyant and energy healer and a self-taught tarot reader. Helping people realize how great they are is her greatest passion. In this episode, you'll learn why aerial coaching is amazing for mental well-being, how to choreograph the character of you, what it means to create with intention, and near the end, Kelsey shares a unique perspective on what the words we are already free bring up for her, reflected in a powerful tarot card. And of course, as always, there is so much more in here. Find links to Kelsey Eicher's most important info, an exclusive bonus chat on exploring polyamory, and heaps more by checking the description on whichever app you're listening or visit alreadyfree.me slash four six. And now, please enjoy this wide-ranging, magical, and inspiring conversation with Kelsey Eicher. I am an aerial coach. So I coach acrobatics and aerial. Um, and I found that after I started coaching aerial, it increased my awareness as a performer of what I was doing. I was a gymnast. So when I started my aerial training, it was like a lot of things came easily to me. And so I just was like, yeah, you just do this thing, you do this thing. And then teaching other people, I started realizing that a trick is more complex because what came naturally and easily for me, other people would struggle with. So by watching other students with other strengths, other weaknesses, I started to understand skills more. And then that has allowed me to take a skill to a different level, like learning like, oh, I don't actually have to use this arm at all for this trick because in teaching this person, I realized how much this my leg is doing the work instead. Um, so yeah, I oh, definitely heavily integrated performing and teaching. Gotcha. I do consider myself to be a lifelong my... coach. So amazing. Yeah, you said that. I, I love that. And I, it's inter- I think in some ways, because when I think of a coach, there's so many different ways to be a coach. And so I've become more recently a, a certified life coach or personal coach or whatever. But then there's, it's so funny to think of what you're doing in a way, the practical application on the physical level. And I actually, this is something very interesting to me. I feel like a lot of healing happens in embodiment. And 
I'm currently feeling the lack of that in my own life where, well, actually I'm feeling it more now because I started doing kettlebell workouts, which are very dynamic and they, they help me. I move, I so enjoy the movement of weight and leverage and, you know, really getting strong and challenging myself. But I'd be curious to hear what your experience has been both as someone who practices and has practiced this for a long time as an aerialist, a gymnast, et cetera, but then also observing students. Do students come to you because they're like, I, I don't know what it feels like to be in my body anymore. Can you help? Is that part of it or is that completely disconnected? And hi, Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one's Yui. Uh, she will be upset yeah. the entire time. I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> yeah. So I also mentioned to you that I um, went to grad school for a while for sports psychology. So I have a big, strong belief in holistic coaching so when I work one-on-one -on -one with a student, it's not just about like, okay, you learn this skill. It's this step, this step, this step. I ask a lot of them to be mindful in their practice. So like, there will be times when I'm like, hey, my, especially my advanced students who have done a skill 50,000 times, I'm like, all right, now you guys are going to close your eyes. You're going to take a breath and you're going to go through this one skill slowly. And I want you to pay attention to everything that you felt, every little muscle. And then I'll have them come down and I'll go around the room and I'll ask everyone, okay, what did you feel engagement? What happened in this muscle? What happened in this? And when a student has like a, oh, I didn't notice this thing right now, I'm like, great, listen to what your classmates said. Now do it and see if you notice one of the other things that they said this time when you do it in your own body. So I do think that there is like a huge mind-body connection in what they're doing, especially because it's not just that they're doing aerial or circus for fitness. Most of them are doing it as an artistic hobby as well. So there's this whole like, mental well-being because it's making them feel better and build confidence and then learning a skill and having that physical development and then also it's their artistic pursuit where they get to have a voice so it's really like I don't know I didn't start Ariel until my 20s and I think that is kind of the perfect combination of my love of coaching my background in writing and creating and just I being the gymnast wanting to do something physical so I found that this is like really holistic way of coaching and I do have plenty of one-on-ones with my students outside the studio or inside the studio where we actually talk about like, all right, how is this affecting what's out, what's going on outside of your life or what's affecting you from outside this room into what you're doing right now, particularly when they're working on pieces. Okay. So is that how, because you said you were a, a free freelance screenwriter in, in the past, and then you said it connects your writing somehow into your coaching now. Is that when it connects in, when you're like un unraveling the store, unpacking or, or bringing the story out of what someone is expressing in their movement? Or how do you feel that that screenwriting comes into the coaching that you're doing now? Two different ways. One, quite literally, I write circus shows. Um, and my shows are for my students and inspired by my students. So I will write a two-hour production um, based on like one little thing that happened with the students and it's for my students. Like I really create based on what I feel inspired by and what I think that they need as well. Um, so first one is literally I am writing. So I am taking what I have learned in my dramatic writing degree and applying it to stage. Um, and then the other way is one of the things I most enjoy most about coaching with students and also with professionals is act development, like creating their act. And my big thing is creating an act with intention. Um, I actually, this hasn't been announced to all of my students in the community yet, but I started writing a book about my 
teaching process of creating an intentional aerial act, a meaningful act, because it's easy to just put a bunch of tricks together, but it's not going to connect to the audience in the way that like, if you know what you want to say as an artist and you go through um, and tell a story, then it's going to create a lot more meaning. So I find that that's one of the things that helps the most with my screenwriting background is actually being able to take like everything I learned from story, everything I learned about practice and structure and outlining now applying that to creating an aerial act. So you go through like three hours of research to find 30 seconds of material that you can actually use in an act. And I make them do silly exercises that I had to do in college where I'm like, why are you making me write a five page paper about my character that happens all before the movie? This doesn't make sense. Later on in life, I learned that if I really know my character before the movie starts, it makes writing the movie a lot easier because I know exactly what my character would do in any situation. So I have my students do exercises like that where I'm like, great, I want you to tell me what color hair your character has. Awesome. Now I want you to go make this five move sequence that you're not going to use in your piece. And I want you to be your character in these five shapes. How did that feel? What did you notice? Are you bigger? Are you smaller? Is your character having more closed off shapes? Are they open more? Um, and having them go through this slower process of like doing a lot of research and background helps a lot. Um, I'm working on a class is wrapping up right now with a six week workshop with several students of mine. And we found like one student came in with a song and she's like, this is a song I'm going to use. This is the song I want to build my story around. And I was like, great, throw that aside. We're going to do all these exercises. I want you to really write about what you want to say as an artist. I want you to tell me what is the relationship between you and the silk? And we did a bunch of different exercises. And then I required everyone to bring in more music than just the, but the one that they had picked. And I was like, great, now move as the character that we've been practicing for the last five weeks to the music. And it turned out she used the song and she's like, this isn't right for my piece or my character or story at all. And she picked a different song. Um, mm. And I think that when we take that time and go through all the exercises and all the things that we think are not necessary to building choreography, that are actually necessary to building meaningful choreography, then it just kind of writes itself and the audience connects oh. to it. What you've just given to me is the gift of uh, connection, connecting different parts of life, how it all turns back to the same thing, at least from my perspective. So what you've just expressed is so much what I work with in my coaching and what I'm working with in my own life as a human is instead of just kind of running the character of Nathan as if it's just happening, it's taking the time to go deep into my story and deep into my character and see what are the things in my life that have really helped this character to blossom? What are the things that have closed this character off, this character of Nathan that I'm playing for this round on the, on the life experience, uh, on the merry-go-round? And then consciously choosing how I choreograph my life, which is my story, which is my dance, so that it gives more opportunity for that character to express. And then that's what I support my clients with as well, is doing things like purpose work, which is very narrative and story-based. It's like, what is the story you're telling about the character of who you are? And, and are your actions aligning with what that character really wants in this life? So I love that. Yeah, that's exactly... I call it creating from within instead of from the outside when I talk with my students, mm -hmm. like picking your song, deciding your tricks, that is creating an act from the outside and you might feel something eventually, but it's so much more powerful if you start within and build out. 
Yeah, beautiful. So I'm curious to just as a as a well segue a little bit, um, but well, quite a lot. But I'm still very curious. One of the things you mentioned is you are a trained clairvoyant and energy healer, and a self-taught tarot reader. So we could take this in a lot of directions. But first of all, just a little intro of around what you know what happened there. How did you get into that, and, and what does that look like for you? Different routes for both of them. In tarot, I don't know. I was really drawn to it as a teenager and as a kid. There's something that seemed really awesome about mystical things. Uh, I even saw ghosts when I was a kid and a teenager. And I was, I didn't like to talk about like tarot, my interest in it, because I grew up Catholic. But the odd thing was when I told my mom that I thought I saw ghosts by the third time I saw one, she was like, Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you will be visited by other things. And so I was really surprised that my mom had that reaction. Um, Mm. And I should have taken that as a sign that my parents were going to be very supportive. But instead, I was like, parents don't support you. So I can't talk about the tarot that I want to read. Um, And so I started kind of like reading books from the library and trying to like keep it secret and learn. And then in college, I bought some more books. But every book tells you to go through like, one card a day and write 15 different prompts about this one card and then go to the next card. And to me, that process was always so slow. And so I picked it up and put it down and put it up and put it down learning tarot for like probably eight years before I started finding a way that clicked for me. Um, And I actually recently taught my first tarot reading workshop about my process of learning where instead of learning one card at a time, I actually learned all of the suits and then spent weeks working on a week on each suit. So I learned them, the elements that way, and then looking at the numbers and then learned the hero's journey. So instead kind of breaking it down into sections. And then after I had a strong sense of those going into one card at a time. Um, And when I was 25, I met a friend who also really loved tarot. And when he started reading with me, we started doing paired readings, we call them paros, where we both read for a single person. I felt like that's really what um, kicked it off. And then um, Nicholas Ashbau is a tarot reader in California who has an amazing YouTube channel where he practices intuitive tarot. And I was fortunate to have him read for me once and have a conversation with him. But I feel like he's the one who really inspired me to be able like, I don't have to have every reading be exactly what the book says. I can listen to my gut to have an answer. And when I started doing readings like that from my gut, like I will like sometimes flip a card over and be like, this should actually be reversed. Or I'll be like, remove a card and be like, it's supposed to be this other card instead. And I started realizing that my more accurate readings were coming when I just trusted my gut instead of trying to focus and hold on to that textbook definition. Um, so I definitely became a better tarot reader after that experience. What happened in that was my clairvoyant training. Um, I'm trained by Kavena Charlo who at the time the school in Portland was the School of Intuitive Living. I think it's now something along the lines of the Intuitive Path Academy. I'm not totally sure, but you're editing this so you can cut out as much as you want. Um, (laughs) I uh, went through a divorce when I was 26 and my whole life kind of just changed because I had been with my husband for nine years and we started dating when I was in high school. And I just like had moved across the country for him. All of my life decisions had been based around this relationship. And I was going, what to me, like I felt like I was going crazy. And I suddenly started seeing images around people. And I thought I was getting some form of synesthesia. 
I could tell that they weren't actually there. So like I knew enough that it wasn't like something I could touch, but I was seeing things around people and it was really scaring me. And even like strangers, there was this one guy who was visiting and I just ran into every once in a while, like at the gym or in where I taught in another school. Like I would just like run into him and I kept seeing a cave collapse on him. And I didn't know him. I hadn't talked to him, but I just keep seeing a cave collapse around him. And it started making me really anxious and scared. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. And finally, like one day I reached out to him online, was just like, I know you don't know me and I don't know you, but I don't know what's going through my life right now, but a cave is collapsing around you. And I'm really sorry. And I don't know what this means. Um, <laughs> and he had telling me a little bit about what was going on with his life. And then I realized like, oh, I was seeing what was similarly happening to me it was like, Literally, his partner was moving away and he was having to make a decision between his job and her. And he felt like he was still trying to hold on to both and was doing everything he possibly could to hold the cave up while everything else was collapsing around him. And that didn't make the visions go away, but it did make me feel less anxious. And so I started realizing, like, maybe what I need to do is find someone to teach me how to calm down and rein it in. And having had the interest in tarot, I was actually looking for a tarot reader as a mentor. And I always would have dismissed clairvoyancy. Like to this day, I still think it's crazy that I'm a clairvoyant or like that I call myself a clairvoyant because like my logical side's like, that's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but for whatever reason, I was really drawn to Kavena's website and she was offering an energy healing course that was coming up. And so I signed up and I was like, this is strange. I'm going to go work for a clairvoyant, learn from a clairvoyant. But I took her energy, her intuitive energy healing class, which is a combination of learning your own meditation um, and also learning how to feel and sense someone else's aura and then working through to clear out other people's aura. And I loved the class. And I started realizing that my visions were not out of control. I could turn them on and I could turn them off. And so I took her next energy healing two class and I took her women's healing class and I took her um, energy or her intuitive meditation class. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to join your clairvoyance apprenticeship. Um, <laughs> and suddenly I was training to become a clairvoyant. There's a, there's a saying, I'm going to actually look it up and see if I can find it because it's i enjoy it so much yeah so so this is uh this is renier maria rilke the uh the poet i don't know if you know his work at all but he was uh he has a book called letters to a young poet i'm not sure if this is from that book but it's a quote of of the part of this of renier renier maria rilke's name's a bit of a tongue twister which just connected me to what you've just been sharing so he says this is, at bottom, the only courage that is demanded of us. To have courage for the most strange, the most singular, and the most inexplicable that we may encounter. That mankind has in this sense been cowardly, has done life endless harm. The experiences that are called visions, the so-called spirit world, death, all those things that are so closely akin to us, have by daily parrying been so crowded out of life that the senses with which we could have grasped them are atrophied to say nothing of God. I love that so much. It basically is what yeah. you're expressing is this, 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 uh, 
this what's calcification of these senses that you're talking about that are as real as any of the senses we consider normal, you know, the five senses. Mm -hmm. So I love what you just read. Um, one of the first things that Kavana taught us in class was like, you're going to explore this like you're a kindergartner. When you are five, you don't have as many inhibitions about like worrying about like, that's crazy. This is weird. I don't want to do this. And so she's like, no, we're going to take this to class. We're going to be five again and play like you're in a sandbox where like anything is possible and your imagination gets to run wild. And yeah, I agree. She also would always say that everyone is psychic. Everyone has intuition. It's just a matter of like whether we practice it the same way that we work our muscles in the gym. You can practice, you can learn, you can create your intuition. Like I said, I have a very logical brain, so I don't believe in magic the way that like you can cast a spell and have a sorcerer and you have flames through of your hands. But I do believe that there are other planes that we can connect to that you can have things like psychic visions because it's just your brain communicating to you in a different way. And we do this every night when we sleep, we dream, we have dreams and it's our subconscious communicating to us in another way through images, trying to get the message across in 50 different ways. I know that when I teach a skill in trapeze, I have, I'll tell people I have my description A, which is the way I will word something because it'll be understood about 60% of my students. And then I'll describe it again in using words B because then it will attach to like 28%. And then I have C and then I have D and then I have E, but I have so many different ways of explaining the exact same move because the words that I use are gonna connect with different people in different ways. And I feel like that's what it is when I see visions around people, when I see images, it's another part of my body that is connecting and is just trying to give me another form of communication to help me understand the situation. I had an experience when I was really young that I actually confirmed it again just quite recently because I was like, did I just make that up or what did that really happen? It happened with, with one of my best friends at the time. I mean, I, I must have been... I don't know, I was very young. I was between eight and 10 years old. I don't exactly know, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it if it's something that you've ever heard of. So I grew up in a little village in, um, on the tip of Africa, uh, South Africa, and there were no streetlights, so, and there, were no, there was not much traffic, so we were pretty free-range children. And one evening, this friend and I, her name was uh, Deb Deborah, we were just kind of exploring in the, the verge of the little road next to my house, and I was gathering glowworms, which I feel a bit bad about now. I was like, what did I, I don't remember what I did with them. I probably just put them back eventually, but I definitely, because they were little glowing, you know, they're cool, they're glowing. I'm gathering a little handful of them to make a little light in my hand. And, uh, and I, I was, remember very clearly, I was kneeling down and I was looking for one in amongst the rocks and Deborah was standing behind me and I heard her gasp. So like, <gasps> and I stood up and turned around and between us, there was a glowing ball of light floating in the air, um, maybe like three feet. And I know you work in feet there, I think, but like just, you know, a little bit off the ground between us and we both kind of we looked at it and then both just turned and ran and by the time we turned to look again it was gone and so this was so long ago but i i messaged her a year or two ago and i was like hey do you remember that time we were in scarborough she's like yeah where we saw the glowing ball of light i was like when we were you know at night collecting glowworms and so she remembered it as well and i don't know have you heard of something like that or do you have any i have not personally experienced that but i do I have heard similar stories, not like exactly the same, but like of 
people having shared experience of seeing the same thing. Uh, do I believe that is possible? Absolutely. Like energy, um, like my energy and your energy, it's to me, it's a real thing. Like, and I, when I do my horror heal, horror healing, I can feel it. So if like at the end of this episode, um, I do a, an aura healing for myself and there's a possibility that I will actually find your energy on me. And then I will like in my healing, I will take it and I will return it to you. But to me, energy actually is a tangible thing. And so let's say that was the energy of a third person in this situation. Um, it still exists. So you two could have both felt it. You both could have seen it. It's also mm. could have been like the energy of the two of you combining um, but to me, yeah, like you can absolutely have a shared experience like that. And it is, it is real. Um, at least in my opinion, I think it's real. Yeah. Well, so on a practical level, because I've had experiences as well of needing, like I had an entity pulled off of me by some medicine people once. I don't, I won't, I won't go into the details. It was pretty fucking intense. And I was kind of, like, you've said, I, I'm not the, I've always been a bit like, yeah, I don't know what's the, but like, I literally felt it i saw it in my mind's eye i knew what was happening like there was no doubt of what was it got, what was unfolding um and oh I, yeah, yeah the first time that my... i the first time i felt like someone's aura and i was like oh wait i can actually feel this thing or like finding demons or spirits that are in them and you're like it actually does feel different like it they they buzz a little like yeah it's it's real I've removed demons from people and they start, then they themselves start seeing visions that it starts freaking them out. And I'm just like, it'll be okay. But like, it's real. So what, do you have any, like for someone listening now who's going, fuck, this is crazy. Do I have entities in me? Am I like, what do I, is there a way that you would recommend someone gets in touch with their own energetic field? Uh, or would you recommend coming to someone like yourself as, as like a, a best first step? As a best first step. Interesting. I think that you are going to, you have had Brit's episodes airing before this, correct? Yes. And you have had other psychology workers and therapists. Is that true? Or is she yes. your first? Okay. Yeah, awesome. no, I've had others. Uh, great. So I was going to, I was just going to say that um, just like in severe like cases of addiction, um, abuse, seeking professional help absolutely is a must. Um, and that's the same thing here. Like if you are experiencing any trauma like that, trained licensed therapist first step. If you are not necessarily to that level, but you're like, I'm clearly going through something and my energy is all about the place. Then yeah, I do say go seek an energy healer. Um, but if you're like, I'm not certain and now I'm hearing about this and now I'm starting to get worried. Uh, <laughs> then I feel like it's a thing that you can start to just like practice mindfulness. And I don't like to use the word meditation because I'm one of those people that is like meditation. What is that? Like clearing your head. But I also like learned how to meditate through reading um, people and auras. So meditation, mindfulness, whichever word you want to use to me, it's the same thing, but sitting still, listening to your body, breathing, um, you might start to then like, once you find yourself in your body, you can start to reach outside and find where your aura ends again in that mindfulness, um, eyes closed. I think it's easier, but I honestly read a lot of auras with my eyes open. Um, but when I'm working on myself, I keep my eyes closed, finding where that extends and you can go through and you can actually start to sense like if something isn't great, 
um, and then grounding yourself and then giving permission for the energy that isn't yours to leave. Um, there's a whole training and I really recommend like if you want to learn how to do energy healing and um, heal yourself, then I would recommend taking energy healing courses. If you just want to have someone do like a quick once over, finding an energy healer. Um, I don't practice Reiki. I practice intuitive energy healing. So like I have, I'm hands off. I will touch your aura, but I do not touch your skin. But I know people have positive experience with Reiki or any other type of energy healing. I think of it like you go and you tune up your car once or twice a year. Uh, why, why don't we do that to our aura? Or you see the dentist once or twice a year. You go to the doctor once a year. We do all these things for checkups. And I think it's good to be able to like go ahead and do that to your energy, clear out things. There are things like cords. People will try to attach themselves to you that they don't need to be attached to you. You might attach yourself to other people. It's codependency. We don't want that in relationships. We don't want that in our energy either. Hmm. And do you work with people online as well as in person? I do. Um, my, I had mentioned that my clairvoyance apprenticeship was in Portland, but towards the end of my apprenticeship, I actually moved to Kansas City, which is where I am now. And um, not being in the U.S., you might not know that it's a 26-hour drive, uh, so quite okay. some distance. Wow. <laughs> So I end up having to do a lot of my finishing up my training with 10-hour seminars virtually. And I was doing healings a lot virtually. And it's not my preference, but I, I will do them. I will do readings virtually. I will do energy healing virtually. Even with permission, I can do them in the room. I had a healing last week, actually where I just got someone's permission and I was like, okay, you go sleep. I'm going to pull your energy into the room that I'm currently in and sit it down in this chair and I'm going to heal it this way. Um, for me, I always prefer in person. I just feel like I'm a better healer when the person's in my own space, but there are ways of me pulling energy into my space that don't involve having to have you be physically in the same room as me. This conversation is reminding me how important it is to, like you said, is, is to acknowledge and take care of all the different parts of ourselves and how I remember in the book, the four agreements, how the first agreement is, the first agreement is to be impeccable with your word and how he talks about that, the word as magic, the word that we say out loud, the word we say in our heads, how we cast spells and how other people cast spells and the same, as you said, even gossip is a, is a way of casting black magic. You know, to gossip about someone is to create an energetic frequency there. And what you're saying now is reminding me of how fucking important it is to really be impeccable. Because otherwise, I'm also casting magic on people or I'm taking on other people's stuff. You know, that if there is magic in a way, that is the power of the word is to create reality through speaking or thinking it. Yeah, energy, magic. I, I think like it's all just the word that we choose to use, but they're all the same thing in my mind. Right. Yeah, we, right. You mentioned gossiping. Absolutely. That doesn't only affect other people's energy if you're like putting it towards other people, but it also creates a hole in your aura because you're deciding to put something that is darker and negative through it. It's like, yeah, if it's leaving your mouth, it is passing through your aura, going through yours, going into someone else's. So how would you, so this is something I actually think about and I, I'm not sure, you're welcome to share as much or as little as you, you 
because I don't know what you're, if you have much of an opinion about this, but basically this idea of gossiping. So it, because it's so common in our society, it's so common to speak about other people, like go hang out with some friends and on the drive home, be like, well, did you see how, whatever, whatever. Um, how do you think is a healthy way to speak about other people, like to speak about the people in our lives, our friends, our family, while also acknowledging the aspects that might be challenging, et cetera. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. They are 100% my opinions. Um, I think there's a balance between being honest with yourself and being nice to other people. So you know what? If you really, really need to say, man, Nathan's hair is really shaggy. Did you see it today? Um, <laughs> and like, then <laughs> I think your hair looks great. But <laughs> something along those lines, like maybe you can acknowledge that like that you need to say that or you really were feeling that. Um, and so saying it might be important because holding it back in or being like, no, I felt totally fine with that is a lie to yourself. And I ultimately think that it's our first priority is to take care of ourselves before other people. Um, I'm not great at that one, but I will still say that I think that it's more important that we take care of ourselves. Um, and so if it's honest and it's like something that you need to get out, say it. But before saying it, taking consideration what else the repercussions would be. Like if I'm if I must get this off my chest, is this a person I can tell it to? Is this someone that's like safe? Like, sure, I can say that to my husband because he's never met Nathan before. And so he's like, okay, that's cool. Um, but maybe like, I don't want to say it to uh, your publisher who's then going to be thinking about that and be like, okay, I need to make sure he gets a haircut the next time that we do a photo <laughs> shoot. Um, <laughs> so I think that there's like a making your choices. And also before you have to say it out loud, like journal it. Journaling is still real. It's still putting words out there, but you can still be like, this is how I felt. And then be like, and that's just my opinion. Um, but I think that we spend too much time filtering ourselves based on what we think we should be doing with society that we end up lying to ourselves. And I, there's the word of should, and I don't know, you can go back and count how many times I've said should in this podcast. And I'm trying not to say that word as much as possible. Um, <laughs> but we live our lives in so much shoulds or have to, and we don't actually question why we think that we should or why we have to, like who has made that decision. Um, and so like, I can say, well, I shouldn't talk badly, but like, who made that rule? Is it because society says that if you do, you're a jerk? Okay. If it's because then people will view me as a jerk, then it's now my decision of, I get to say these words and I own the right of knowing that it means that someone else might think I'm a jerk, but it doesn't change that that's how I actually feel. And so I want to express it. I need to express it because I think that the first thing is being honest with yourself and then being respectful to other people in your honesty. Did that answer the question or did I just kind of like skirt everything? No, I, I mean, I'm, for me, you've, you've given me a beautiful insight around the fact, a softening into being okay with just honesty. Because I, I think in many ways, and this is something I practice. So there's another one, the words trying and the word should. Uh, with the word trying, I realize that that's a big one for me. And so I've I'm practicing replacing trying with practicing. So it softens mm -hmm. it for me. So I think that's what I've got from your response is a sense of softening into being okay with 
having reality come through, having truth come through, even if I know that my truth might be a little shitty today, but like allowing that. And it's, yeah, it's a fine line. And I'm, and I know that each of us has to find that in ourselves of what is the line. I've got myself in big trouble many times, even quite recently saying things that are considered uh, socially unacceptable. And I don't say them because I think that I'm better than someone else. I say them because I remember clearly what it was like when I was at school and I had questions because I didn't understand, I didn't see, I didn't get the point the teacher was making where a teacher would say, you know, this is how it is. And I'd say, but why? Or I don't get it. Or, and then they would say, well, just because I say so. And so I have this thing in me of like, I, that's never been a good enough reason for me. I would much rather keep poking until I get sense out of it. But that doesn't necessarily end me up in good situations. So I appreciate the softening. So thank you. It's softening. I like I like the softening idea. Yeah, I, like I said, for me, biggest value is honesty. And so, like, let's say it is the the thing because, like, I I am definitely still guilty of saying things that are negative about people or doing things that are gossiping. And so, usually before I do say anything that I would like, I kind of like, is this gossip? And I question myself, like, why do I want to talk about it? So there was something recently that came up with another company and I was like, why is this bothering me? Why do I want to talk about it? And so like, I asked myself first, like, why do I want to talk about it? Because if it's just like a, I want to put this person down, that's gossip. Like if you are just trying to spread rumors and you want have malicious intent, that's just gossip. But sometimes I go through and malicious, like, it's because I'm feeling guilty about this other thing and I want to process it with someone else. So for me, it always comes back down to intention what might appear from the outside as gossip might be what I need to do to process in a situation with another person who understands the situation and understanding and prefacing being like a, Hey, I don't want to say anything about this. Can this conversation be about between just the two of us, but I want to express how I'm feeling with this thing. Does it make it any different from the outside view? No, but to me, (laughs) it's important. Yeah, set and setting. It's like context. And I think context is something that's currently missing a lot from, it's one of the main, or one of the big, I would say, um, limitations of social media is that it's very context poor, is that it's someone will be taken a comment they've made or a thing they've said or an opinion they've held that's just the context is well now you are this that's related to your opinion and it's a terrible thing rather than like hmm i'm curious why is that person expressing such what seems to me to be such an intensely contrary opinion i wonder what the context is and so what you've just expressed is around using using your own self-awareness to come into a situation where, oh, I have something that's coming up here. I really want to express it. It feels important that I do. What is the context I can do that in that will allow it to happen in a way that's constructive and healthy rather than just like the potential chaos that I could unleash on uh, my relations? So just a little, again, another segue into, I mean, I could keep talking about this whole like, this clairvoyance thing is just blowing. It's just so important, and I want to. Anyway, we, we. I think we've covered that. And but thank you for thank you for bringing it into the space. I, I feel there's so many stories that I have that um, I want to give more energy and attention to around that. Actually, there is one other one around that that I think you'll just enjoy. I don't know if you have heard of Findhorn in Northern Scotland, the community. Okay, so they they're an eco village that's been going for quite a long time now. And I, 
I was staying with a friend some years ago and I found a book that was the sort of explanation of how they got started. And what happened was that it was, I don't know exactly the details, but a, a father, mother, and a kid or two, and the father was managing a hotel somewhere in North Scotland. And they had another woman living with them. Now, I don't know how she got involved or how they met her. She was a friend or what happened, but she was talking directly to spirit, to spirits, like to energy and getting messages. And they were listening, which was amazing. So she would say, oh, we need to do this now. And the spirits at one point said, you need to move into the campsite nearby. So they moved into the campsite. And then they said, you, you need it. And this was on a beach, by the way, like on the edge of a beach. So really not good soil for growing anything. And the spirit said, now you need to start growing vegetables and we'll help you because we can collaborate. And they started growing vegetables and they started growing amazing vegetables in a place that they should not have been able to do it. And eventually it got to the point that soil experts were coming out to test the soil and be like, this is impossible. You're growing this. You shouldn't be able to do this. But what the spirits explained is that there is an etheric realm where there's a representation of, for example, a squash or a tomato or all these. There's an etheric energetic being that is associated with that. And these etheric beings, they, they're very powerful energetically, but they can't, re, they can't take action on the physical. They're weak physically, whereas humans are very strong physically. We can move. I can take this bottle of water and move it across the room. It doesn't cost me anything. It's a very easy thing. And they said, if you collaborate with us, we will, we will give you the energy you need if you take the actions that we need. And they collaborated and they're still going. And I would love to visit. But anyway, I just thought I'd share that story with you. That's a really cool story. Um, yeah, so with my clairvoyant work, I would say I'm not to that woman's level of power by any means, but yeah, that's kind of what it is. Is like I will actually talk with other spirits or of people that are on this plane and people that are not on this plane. Um, when we talk about like finding demons or spirits in your um, aura, they feel different because they aren't of this plane. Um, this is where I'm going to something I didn't mention in my intake because I'm all over the place with 50,000 different interests. I play D&D and I love it. Um, oh. I have multiple D&D groups that I play with every week. This is like the one thing I do in my, like I have don't work Thursday nights. It's my one night off that I am always going to play D&D every Thursday. Um, and they have lots of different planes in existence there. So I actually think that that's real here. They're like in D&D, the name was like as the Fae world and um, shadow plane and the material plane but i think like that's still the same here we have the astral plane we have different planes and some people use the word heaven i choose to use that the word plane um it can be different names similar concepts at the root but yeah i wholeheartedly believe that that would be a thing where she was contacted by another spirit in another plane and they're like our connection here is weak but if you assist us we can work it together when I started my energy healing for other people, um, we were actually, with the assistance of uh, my mentor, we were given contracts with other guides in other planes. So in my healing, I actually have three guides that um, I have a contract with that are with me. And so when I do energy healing, I call upon two of them. If I'm working with a female who is wanting something more low female energy, I have a third one that is specific to it. Um, but yeah, I've got connections to three guides. One's a, one's a surgeon, one's a guide, and one's a female expert um, energy healer. But they're not here 
in uh, what I call our material plane, because D&D phrasing, I call it material plane. But there is a connection. Their connection to the material plane is through me. And so that we can have that healing and I can pull from their plane by connecting with them. Hmm. So I think that's cool. Okay, that's like a large scale story um, in, in, sorry, right. in Ireland. He said Ireland, right? Or was it Scotland? Uh, Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, there's actually, uh, there's an, the, actually the first real psychic I ever saw was in, in Northern California and she blew my mind. I mean, and I, I remember now, I hadn't remembered until this moment, but she, there were moments because she did tarot and th- she would say things like, oh, they're telling me to say this. And so I realized that she also had her guides and her spirits and her support on, you know, on these other planes that was helping. And um, she helped me massively a few years ago. I had an entity in my room, which again, I'm saying this as though it's like, oh, I had an entity in my room, but it was fucking weird. And I would never have been the kind of person to be like, oh, there's entities everywhere. And, but like, literally, I've never had issues with, uh, what do you call it, sleep paralysis. Like, it's not a thing that I've ever d- dealt with. I've heard of it. My partner's had it at times, so I, I know what she's experienced. But we had a, a, a party at our house at one point, and... Then like two days later, I was trying to sleep. Even I think in the afternoon, I was trying to have a nap. And suddenly I felt like something was trying to climb into me. And I, and I had this feeling of waking up and being stuck and then like coming back awake and being like, holy shit. And I said to Carly, she was in the room with me. I was like, something just really weird just happened. And, um, and then I think it was that evening. I was trying to sleep again and it happened again. And I was like, I'm going to sleep upstairs. There's something weird is going on in here. And then I went and then half an hour later, she came and she's like, no, something weird is going on in there. I, something I'm feeling. Something. So it was now like two in the morning in South Africa. And I knew the one person I could think of was this woman in California who I'd worked with years before. So I called her and I was like, this is what's up. I don't know if you have time, but can you just help? And she just checked in and she said, oh, there's an energy of jealousy. There's something going on with a group of friends and an energy of jealousy. And there's some energy that's now trying to climb in because of something that happened at this gathering that you had. And she's like, just do this, do this. Very simple things. Like, I can't even remember the materials, but we had it all because my lady works a lot with herbs. And and we set up some stuff in the door and burned a few things. And that was it. We were done. And, and I only found out much later that someone who was at the gathering, which w- had come up into the house at one point with my partner and had been very out of it like, you know, lots of substances and all the things and was like randomly opening the cupboards in our room, which seems very innocent, but there was some kind of an energetic vibe that this person had brought into the room and left behind. And that was the entity, it was that energy of jealousy that this person had been carrying that we had no idea about. Anyway, so that shit is real. And I'm so glad to be talking about it with you. So thank you for bringing it into the space and onto this podcast. Yeah, it's it's real. And it's, it's scary. And it then will also make people do what they think are like weird and crazy things. Like me, like I have to sleep in a different room, but like, that's totally justifiable. Someone left their energy there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, when you know what's going on, that's easy for you to say, I was terrified, man. It was such a crazy experience. Fuck. It was so noticeably different to, to my normal life experience. So, but that's the thing, having someone to call, like that was, that's what made the difference is like for you, you'd go, ah, oh, man, we sort that out in seconds, but I, I needed someone else to know that so that I could calm the fuck down. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, I wish I could be like, here's the number that you call for your local psychic. Um, but I, that, 
that doesn't exist really. You can find it online, but of course you're going to have lots of people that are like, oh, this isn't real. But anyone that I have worked with, um, even people who are very skeptical of energy healing work, they're like, I don't know what happened, but suddenly I feel better. Um, my mm. partner personally is like really like really skeptical of stuff like this, but supports me. And it's just like, yep, yeah, if this is what you do and you think you feel something great. Um, but he's recently going through a tougher time. And so he actually asked me to do an energy healing and we finished and he's like, I don't know what you did. Cause I feel like you just put hands like over me for 20 minutes, but I actually feel better and it lasted for another day. And so then he asked, can we do this again? And so we have recurring energy healings now because it's like, I don't know what is happening and I don't have to, I don't need to understand. I was like, and I think that's the important thing is like, you don't have to put a scientific paper with tons of research in order for something to be real. Like it's meaningful. Yeah, I love that you said that. I actually, one of my previous guests, uh, Christian von Kamp, he is a sort of personal coach, uh, men's coach mainly, but very much physical work, et cetera. And like good eating, barefoot, being in nature, good vibes. And he said a similar thing. He's like, he's, he's, he's like, I read all the studies. I know all the science. He's like, but at the end of the day, if it's working for you, if it feels good inside of yourself, that's the indicator that you need. The indicator of the individual having the experience is the critical one for the individual. Yeah. There, a weird, like random segue that reminds me that always sticks in my head is I was still early on in my aerial performing um, career and I was backstage before a show, which was it, it was part of a larger improv comedy show. So I was sharing the green room with a lot of comedians who are all backstage drinking um, because they're encouraged to have a drink before getting on stage. Whereas I'm like, you don't touch alcohol anywhere near your aerial apparatus. That's just a bad idea. Um, <laughs> and I was putting rosin, which is one of the things that we will sometimes use for like a little extra sticky grip. And I was putting rosin on. It was going to be weird. I had a baby doll, like a stuffed doll that was part of my act. Um, that I was rosining the stuffed doll. And he was like, does that actually make a difference? And I was like, I honestly don't know, but I've done it every night and have had a good run. So I'm continuing to do it. He's like, then it works. It doesn't. He's like, then yeah, then it, it serves a purpose. And I was like, yeah, it does serve a purpose. Like whether it physically serves a purpose or not didn't matter because I had this like mental connection of like, well, I've done this every night. It was my ritual. I've done every night and it's worked. So I'm going to keep doing this. So in that sense, yes, it was necessary. It was working for me. Let's uh, move this into basically where people can find you and what projects you would like to share with them. Uh, just yeah, share that with our, with our audience. I own and direct and run and perform in a circus company in Kansas, in, around Kansas City in the area um, called Circus Scorpius. It's spelled like the constellation. And you can find us on website. I also have an Instagram account and a Facebook account. And you will be able to find my coaching there, um, aerial coaching and performing, shows I direct, choreography, everything I do that is related to circus. You will even see some tarot reading because I mix that in with our larger corporate gigs. Um, and then more recently, since my tarot reading within the last year and energy healing in the last two months has taken off a little bit, I've gotten more requests for it. I did form a separate company called Winged Guidance. Um, and that's 
right now just as the website of wingedguidance.com you can book energy healings or readings past life readings tarot readings um spiritual coaching basically like anything under the sun that is deals with anything you've been trained in for clairvoyance energy healing or tarot reading you can book appointments there big projects oh man i write shows i write three a year at minimum um and i'm always at least a year ahead so next month um, my company Circus Scorpius will be at Kansas City Fringe Festival doing a show called Here Be Dragons. Uh, it's our students performing a show about three explorers going down um, in a submarine to find uh, the giant squid. Uh, they did a show. Interesting timing. In- <laughs> I know. The show was written a year ago. Um, we actually did the show. The original version of the show, which was longer in May, was called Atlantis. And it was about three explorers that were trying to find the lost city of Atlantis because it was the thing that their mother never succeeded in. Um, and mm. so that one was a little bit more whimsical and like going down to the sea creature, but then also ending up in Atlantis and finding out that all the Atlanteans are actually evil and they're going to try to trap you here. And they find like the their spirit of their mother was down there, but she's the one who saves them so they can escape. Um, so that one's happening. We're doing another production for the city of Kansas City on 816 Day, which is their like annual celebration day for the city. Um, we're doing a show called Bing, which we have the audience play a game of bingo, um, but shortened. It's four by four, so Bing instead of bingo. And as you draw a ball, we have an act prepared. So we don't know what the show goes like at all because it's improvised. You draw a ball, we do that act that you just drew, and we have things like uh, fruit by the foot eating contest with the audience members while we set up between things because we like to do some ridiculous stuff. And then we're already starting auditions for the show, soon show in February, which is called Fire and Ice. Um, and it's about a prophecy that was told of two wizards, one ice wizard, one fire wizard, that would be born on the same day. And one day they would meet and destroy the world unless some other force can stop them. And so, yeah, making a two-hour aerial show about two wizards. Um, (laughs) This is my life. And then I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I have been working on writing a book about creating intentional acts as circus performers. And I'm not very far into it, but my goal is to have that finished in six months. I'm trying to go nice and slow and steady. That's, I think, most of what I'm doing right now. How, what the, how have you, what has it taken for you to dedicate yourself so wholly and authentically to your creative life? I have so much support. Um, I am Pauline, so I have two partners. Um, I have a partner I live with and one that I live with part-time as well. They both have been really, really supportive. So when I decided a year and a half ago that I wanted to leave the company that I was running before and start my own, they were like, great, we'll make sure that you are supported. So I haven't been paid um, for the last year and a half. I just like put all the money I make right back into producing shows because the community is important to me. I love my students. I love my coaches. I love the performers and they make all of it worth it. Like I said, all of my shows that I write for the students are inspired in some way by the students. Um, this show that I'm doing, Fire and Ice, is actually inspired by they're not currently my students, but I used to have two twins um, that were students and they're now going off into college in the fall. Um, and just 
I've been thinking about them a lot lately and going off in their next adventure. And so like, I think that's where like, I just woke up one morning and wrote a show. Like I seriously woke up and I was like, this is the show I'm writing. It's going to be about two people who were born on the same day and end up like they are going to maybe destroy the world, but there's no spoilers. They don't, or that's the spoiler. They don't destroy it. Um, (laughs) But I just like had this inspiration and I just like sat down one day on my day off and wrote a whole show and I was like this is exactly what we're gonna do and I sent it to the coaches like this is our show in February we're gonna we're gonna do this show um so I get I don't know I feel like it goes back and forth and the reason I'm able to do everything is because I put the energy in to my students in my community and they give the support right back like it's I've never met such an amazing group of people when I moved here I I can't believe how much they love and support each other like we have a saying where it's a safe space to fail. Um, so they know that when they're working out and they're trying new things that everyone else in the room loves them and they can do something really stupid. They can make really ugly decisions and we'll all tell them, yeah, that wasn't great, but we know you're going to be better than this. So like the, the amount of support I don't think is something that everyone is fortunate enough to have. Um, and that makes me feel like I can do the impossible, that I can continue to create and create the shows I want to because I have people that are like willing to follow me and be like, okay, you want to make a goth pop show about fairy tales? Yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll go with you. You want us to put on giant bubbles and be puffer fish and run around the stage bumping into show? Yeah, okay, if that's your vision, we'll go ahead and do that. Um, so... I'm just lucky that I have a bunch of people that are willing to trust me and I can trust back. Well, Kelsey, um, thank you so much. I feel very inspired and I feel like you've just opened up so many more cans of worms that I would (laughs) love to dive into. One being poly, like that's something I've had so much curiosity about for most of my life or at least most of my adult life. Um, But we are running out of time. So maybe we'll save that just for a bonus question. But um, when you hear the words, we are already free, what comes up for you? So gut reaction, the first thing that popped up was the image of the Eight of Swords in a tarot deck. I don't know how familiar you are with tarot. I am going to assume that most of your listeners are not super, like, can just, like, immediately pull the image in their head. But in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, you'll see an image of a woman who is has her hands bound, usually in chains, and blindfolded. And eight swords are stuck in the ground around her, but there's a little bit of an opening in the front. People oftentimes look at that card and they're like, she's bound, she's blindfolded, and there are all these swords that are blocking her way. But did you notice that I said there's an opening in the front? It's a thing that most people don't notice in that card is that the swords are actually wider than her body. None of them are touching her. And if you look closely, in most decks, not every deck, her hands are not actually bound. They're just chains that are loosely wrapped around her. So she can pull her hands apart. She can remove the blindfold and she can just walk out on the path. And so that was the first image I saw when you said those words, because I feel like that's so true. That's how we live our lives. We always feel like we're bound, like we can't do something or like we have to make a decision and it's beyond our control. But even in situations where we feel like it's beyond our control, in most situations, it is our choice. It is our control. We already have the power to take off the shackles. We have the power to take off the blindfold. We have the power to walk outside the circle of swords and be in a different area. It's just a matter of giving ourselves permission and going back to that honesty thing, 
recognizing within ourselves, being honest with ourselves, is this actually 100% out of my control? Probably not. Mm. What can I do to make it be my control? So that was what I thought was that image of Mm. the Eight of Swords. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey of self-discovery and personal growth. I hope today's conversation with Kelsey has inspired you to create with intention and choreograph the character of you. You can find links to Kelsey and more at alreadyfree.me slash four six. Remember, it is not about conforming to society's expectations, but rather about creating from within, allowing your intuition to guide you on this magical journey. What did you get from this conversation? It went in so many unexpected directions. And what does it tell you about your own experience of life? Please reach out and share with me by commenting or chatting live at alreadyfree.me slash four six. Thank you for being here with me, dear listener. Together, as always, we are remembering that we are already free. See you next week.